welcome to the Intuitive Insights podcast series. I'm Nina Lockwood, founder and director of Intuitive Interim and Executive Search. Throughout this series, I will be sharing engaging conversations with talented leaders from across the UK transport sector. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Tufik Mashnuk, who is the Director of Industry Partnerships for the Digital Railway for Network Rail. And Tufik shares his career story with us, his reflections and his learnings over the various roles that he has undertaken since he joined the industry as a graduate. I found this conversation absolutely fascinating and I'm confident that you will too. Tufik Mashnuk, a very, very warm welcome to the Intuitive podcast. We are delighted to see you here. Um, You have the... um, the absolute honour of being one of those people who is doing a very, very technical role on the UK railway, but has been able to explain it to me, the least technical person you'll ever meet, and help me to understand it. So I'm really looking forward to sharing this conversation with you and helping to to kind of spread the news in terms of what you're involved with. Um, So to give you your full title so that our viewers and listeners uh, know the role that you're currently doing, you're the Director of Industry Partnership for the Digital Railway at Network Rail. And um, on the Intuitive Insights podcast, we're going to start in traditional format and ask you to share your career story with our audience, going back right to the beginning, the decision you made in terms of bringing you into the transport industry, the roles that you've done, um, bringing us right up to the present day in terms of the role that you're currently doing and uh, and what that means for the future of the railway. Brilliant. I look forward to talking to you. Thank you. So over to you. Right. Well, where, where, where to begin? So I think I think there's an interesting thread in in everyone's story really that goes back to their childhood and I tend to look at life as kind of one big learning journey you know it's a a massive self-learning journey I find it fascinating that you are who you are yet you still have to get to know yourself you know you don't you don't come with that full inbuilt knowledge of yourself Uh, and what I've come to reflect on over the time is some of the things that I've gravitated towards career decisions I've made uh, things that I've got, got involved in have a bit of a thread in them. So I'll, I'll try and reflect on that as we go. And obviously, this is all retrospective clarity. You know, things yes. were that clear when I was five years old. That would have been Absolutely, yeah. It's not the, not the way it is. So, I mean, my general background is that um, I was born in the UK. My family are of Lebanese and Syrian heritage. Uh, my parents are designers. So I grew up in an environment where there's lots of kind of creative, artistic and design thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a child, I was utterly curious. I had the tendency to get obsessed in things. Uh, really loved to build stuff, which starts right. to make, make sense later. Uh, I had a very irritating habit of asking why a lot, as, as lots of children do. But I think yeah. I think I, I did that, you know, to, to a level of uh, upsetting teachers. <laughs> Uh, I also struggled with dyslexia as a child and the education system when I look back at it really didn't work for me you know I really struggled to connect the dots with what I was learning and the real world right and this becomes very important for me later as as I enter the real world of uh, understanding 
well, really getting motivated by the connection between uh, why we're doing something, its fundamentality, and how it manifests in the real world. Yeah. Um, so, you know, having two young children now and seeing them go through the early years of education, I have a real interest and in, and passion in the role of education in creating uh, people who have a love of learning. Yes, and how we capitalize on the inherent curiosity and creative thinking and experimentation that we all had as children, mm. which has become incredibly relevant for me in my career as I've gravitated towards things that were trying to do something new or create breakthroughs or organize people in a very complex environment or to innovate. And there's an there's a inherent challenge in that the, the nature of growing up is building experience. Uh, and you know the 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 child mind is uh, you know has all the underlying capacity of an adult mind except it's just not un it's not hinged by experience yet. Yes, and, and not limited by that experience either. Do you know that kind of that that ability of a child to to think outside the box because they don't even know the box is there. As we get older those parameters are put into place sometimes by the education system that kind of yeah we have to we have to think in this very linear way and we lose that or whether we lose the inherent curiosity or whether we just bury it a little bit or a lot but that childlike curiosity is so fundamental isn't it in terms of the creative side of what we do absolutely and it's got it's got two angles to it which underpin all the under, kind of the understanding of entrepreneurship and innovation is that there's this kind of creative side which is about seeing new possibilities you know can you see the world in a way different to how it is today because if we never see the world different to how it is today nothing new will emerge if we no. just judge if we judge everything that we do by what we did before nothing new by definition could emerge but the other one which is incredibly important is experimentation it's the ability mm. to move towards that right with the there's uncertainty there if it's new it's fundamentally uncertain because it's new right yeah. it, hasn't been, it doesn't it hasn't been created yet or yeah. you know, it doesn't exist in these conditions potentially so you need to be willing to walk into that uncertainty and as children we exhibit both those characteristics and one of the threads that i'm drawing on here is that it becomes very important in my career as uh, but also it's a really important element of leadership to um, figure out how you how you balance the importance of experience. You know, we can't live our life by waking up every day and reinventing our understanding of the world. It just wouldn't yeah. work. You'd, nev you'd never get dressed. You'd never figure out which way you need to go. And, yeah. uh, but how you then create environments for teams and people where you can really expand on their view of what's possible and create an environment where people feel safe in the right place to head towards um, uncertainty is is an incredibly powerful thing. And I think Absolutely. it's something we can all we can all reflect on about you know what are those moments in our lives where we feel really creative, yeah. and what are the conditions? So the kind of the question I was what are the conditions that I or you would find it would need to be in to feel like you can really experiment with something? You know, yeah. try it, get feedback from the world try again get feedback from the world which is how yeah. everything is created yeah so so that's kind of one of the big things i take from um reflecting on childhood uh, the education system 
the importance of the love of learning, the challenge mm. of learning, especially if you have something like dyslexia in a very rigid education system that doesn't cater yeah. for that easily. So as a result of that, really, I came out of school with an interest in lots of things like engineering and social sciences, uh, a real interest in design because of my family uh, experience, yeah. but but no, no real confidence in am I capable? Can I think? Can I learn? Because the education system didn't you know wasn't geared yeah. for me and the way I need to learn. Yeah. When I went to university and did design engineering, uh, partly because I really enjoyed physics and math and design. Mm. Uh, partly because it's a practical choice you know I, I would have loved to do something like philosophy and economics maybe but it's right. a bit of, uh, it, it can feel like well what do you, you know I do find it incredible that people study those things and actually you can go into any field in, in business but from my perspective I felt like having a technical degree was the way to go what I reflect on briefly on university now whether it's university uh, you know, it's not necessary that people go to university, but one thing I would reflect on in terms of university is that it is well and truly one of the most incredible domains in society. It's a place that allows a huge amount of creativity, learning, uh, uh, experimentation. It's a place where new ideas happen. It's a place where you can be very active and volunteer. So some of the things that I did beyond my just education as well as being connected with friends at other some of my childhood friends at other universities got, got involved in student networks so we built a student network that was um, helping create development and learning opportunities for uh, um, second generation Brits so people okay. that find themselves in the society they they grew up in yeah yeah uh, uh, got involved in like philosophy groups and things like that it, it creates this incredible domain where you can learn and experiment mm. and one of the big things I took from that which I which really I still talk about today is if you really want to understand what leadership looks like think about leading a group of volunteers mm. so imagine your imagine your team in your business mm. weren't paid to be there and you had to convince them to be there yeah suddenly it becomes very apparent you know how big of a gap we have in terms of leadership you know what would Absolutely. it take to get them motivated to make them feel passionate to, to for them to want to be engaged in this direction of travel for them to really mm. understand why it's important and for them to put their energy into that so so things like that were an incredible learning opportunities experience yeah. about what leadership looked like and being mm. involved in voluntary work is something I highly encourage people to do not just in terms of volunteering which is you know in terms of from a charitable perspective but get involved get involved in organizing yeah uh, so much to learn isn't that organizing yeah. in, on a voluntary basis there's a huge amount to learn from doing that um coming out of university I mean really by doing engineering and design I I really wanted to make stuff and build stuff right uh, planes, cars, rockets, anything that would have been, you know, nice and uh, uh, cool to me as a child, uh, I actually stumbled across the railway. So I had no overarching interest or passion or understanding of the railway other than using it. I mean, growing up yeah. in London, I had access to, to the railway as a, as a primary means of getting around. And the thing that struck me, I still have this memory of going through a graduate program interview and... Um, uh, the person who was interviewing me was a commercial manager of some form in the rail industry and suddenly this huge window opened up to me of, 
about because she was talking to me about what the industry and the business looks like and i just couldn't believe how vast and varied yeah the business and industry <clears throat> looks like um and this also kind of talks to you know as you go through your life and your career um get getting real world experience becomes very important mm. you know so so that was the beginning of opening up to me what the real world looks like you know yes. coming out of the education system mm. even involved in interesting voluntary work kind of seeing what the real world looks like what mm. goes on in the business environment and if anything i would encourage people to do that at a younger age it's a great thing to get involved in businesses even mm. of people do internships and things like that it's just an yeah. incredible opener of what real world looks like mm. and, and the sheer diversity of roles in it and the kind of things that you can get involved in uh, so I ended up joining Network Role on a general management program, <clears throat> and it was an incredible experience. Network Role invested a huge amount in development and learning. Uh, I spent a lot of time over a year working in different parts of the business, really understanding how it how it all works. Yeah, <clears throat> I had brilliant mentors early on, and this is where luck does come into it. It depends who you who you end up. Um, getting assigned with and that's why i i try and i try and spend time with people younger people in the industry whether graduates or otherwise to try and impart some of that wisdom that i got access to which could be a question of luck as to whether you get that yeah and one of, and one of the big things i took from uh, mentors was really don't rush in the early stage before you okay. get to this point where you have increasing responsibility uh, take the opportunity to get immersed in everything you can. So what I ended up doing several years of my early career is spending a lot of time in the front line and gaining as much exposure exposure and experience possible into kind of frontline business operations uh -huh. because it gives you a real foundation as to how things really work out there. And if you went out onto the network with staff who day and night uh, make the machine work mm -hmm. which which ultimately despite all the physical assets and the engineering of it all is a human enterprise yeah. if there weren't if there was if there weren't people yeah. none of this would happen exactly right? it's yeah. ultimately a human enterprise yeah understanding the realities of what it takes to plan and deliver work the uncertainties that emerge the risks of that uh the mistakes the mishaps um uh, how people behave, how they respond, is it, it, just incredibly important. So I cannot mm. stress enough, you know, and I and I talk to people about this uh, in mentorship is the importance of spending that time in the foundations of the, of any business, really. Yeah, yeah. Together. I think we've um, over probably in the last three years, actually, since we were in um, in the in the lockdown in the pandemic situation. I became more aware that these, um, what are they called now? They're called time delay videos where people take a video of a piece of work that's happening and then it's all speeded up. And there were, there's a, a few people, there was engineer Steve um, from Network Rail, but also Nick Lillington's been brilliant at this as well. And showing us videos of what is happening when there is you know, a bridge being built or this track being laid or there's something happening with the infrastructure. And I think we can watch the videos of that and we can get a sense of what's happening and how complex it is and how many people are involved. Um, but actually being there in 
out, you know, outside in the elements, being part of and seeing it all happening, I imagine is such an education because you've been in it and you've felt it rather than watching it has been really interesting for me. But I'm not standing there with my hard hat and my high vis out in the pouring rain or the freezing cold. And so I think that is so important, that kind of, as you say, experiencing the foundations of what, what people are doing day in and day out to keep the railway running. Absolutely. And I think there are two angles to that. One is seeing it, you know, seeing it and feeling it. So that, that that's something that anyone can access, which is kind of an, a communication and education process, give people mm -hmm. access to that. There's another element which was very important for me, and I would uh, stress this from a kind of uh, career and development perspective to anyone, is it's taking responsibility. It's it's being involved in something where you have responsibility for it, and it's real. Mm. It's it's real. It's not theoretical. It's 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 practical. It's it's it, it, it's a practitioner's responsibility. Whether yes. it's work planning, whether it's being responsible for site safety whether it's accessing the railway and having to really understand the safety provisions you've just put in place, that a mm. bunch of people with you are now uh, under your responsibility. And if you get that wrong, there could be serious consequences. Um, and I think generally taking responsibility like that is a really important part of, I want to say growing up. I don't mean growing up in a, in, you know, as though one is Im immature, but just in, no, but it's that gaining that developing. depth of knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, it's that um, it is growth. It's personal growth, isn't it? At the end of the day, and we we arrive, I think, from the education system with um, a set of theories and what the you know what we've read about, or or actually what the teacher or the lecturer has told us about. And they have they've never worked in that role before, so they've told us the theory as well, but actually bringing it into practical application day in and day out, whilst maintaining that curiosity that you talked about earlier in an industry which I absolutely love and I am a hundred percent passionate about as everybody who knows me would tell you we are still an industry that relies very much on well we've always done it like this so that's how we continue to do it it's a huge amount of innovation happening and I'm absolutely acknowledging that but we've also got pockets where yeah we've always done it like that so we'll carry on doing it in the same way um yeah. so so that having a, a fresh perspective new set of eyes knowing the theory never done the practical before but why we're we doing it like that mm -hmm. and what's interesting i so, so one thing i tell people and i still you know I, I have strong memories of this is that um it's very important to really immerse yourself in how the business works but but one thing that's really important as well is to respect that experience yes so you can you know, and, and the leadership challenge is finding that balance between experiences there because people have over many, many years um, applied themselves. And that and that in itself is a really important foundation of knowledge that may yeah. tell you the, na the nature of things, because you have to understand the nature of things to then apply some curiosity and uh, thinking around how it could be different. Otherwise, yeah. you could be very naive about how you approach that. Um, so approaching that with respect is also very important. Yes. So one, you know, one of the things I remember early in my career is I, I, I was very much attracted to people with a lot of experience in our industry. Mm -hmm. And the way I describe it to people is it's kind of a blessing of life that we have this continuity amongst the generations. If you had to come onto planet Earth today mm -hmm. on your own 
and rediscover everything that humans have discovered you couldn't you couldn't <laughs> no, right no. it's by virtue of the fact that we come into this world and there are all these people around us and 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 society at large carries the knowledge and wisdom of many generations of human beings yeah and and, and you know and that and that moves around and sometimes it goes in the wrong places but to, so i i have this um kind of real interest in people who've been there a long time and seen a lot of things mm. Mm. I find that incredibly fascinating. Yeah, you know, me too. one thing I share one thing I share with people that sometimes they find surprising is one of the most fascinating conversations I've had over the last year is with the Association of Retired Railway Officers. Okay. And, and you know, the, the depth of knowledge and experience in that group of people, you know, people mm. who are retired from the railway, they still have a, a big interest in it. It's phenomenal. You know, it's yeah. the kind of thing where where you can just learn from that experience and wisdom. Yeah. Um, but then still apply your own thinking and creativity uh, to that. Mm. So, so, so like you, I, I, um, by stumbling into the rail industry, I mean, one thing that became very apparent to me is uh, just how important of an industry this is for society. Mm. You know, transport generally is is in at the fabric of the ability. It is kind of is a core fabric of society and our ability to move around. It's very. Uh, it has a very strong purpose and that purpose is very practical and very real and mm. one thing i've learned about myself is i'm very purpose driven you know I, yeah. I find it very difficult to to connect with something if i don't understand why why it is and as a result i feel lucky that i've stumbled into an industry like this because if i stumble you know if i stumbled into something that was you know maybe a, a business enterprise that was uh, creating paper clips, you know, just to take a silly extreme example. You know, we need yeah. paper clips in the world. Yeah. That's, a, that's, that's the yeah. thing we do need. <laughs> I'd struggle to get motivated by that after about a year, probably. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> uh, so, so, so the fact that it's such an impactful thing and it's so real and you can touch it and feel it and, and, and see what you've done with it and show it to people and that it will mm. be there long after we're gone is very motivating to me. I, I have a yeah. strong connection with that, import, that importance of purpose and its legacy. Um, so after doing a few years in network operations, which was an incredibly important foundation, and I, and I really encourage people to spend time uh, there regardless of where they go in their career, uh, I then spent a good chunk of my career working in various major projects. And this was another real opportunity, kind of, um, alignment of circumstances I guess in that coming out of the great recession in 08 the government put a lot of investment into infrastructure mm-hmm. so really for the next two decades for the next decades or two control periods in network <coughs> terms we had this kind of boom in infra- infrastructure expenditure yeah. in capex uh, capital expenditure and so I went into the project environment from my university experience we did some projects type I, I you know I've been involved in project type work and I always found them very interesting what I loved about projects is that they if you did them well they really exemplified everything about leadership they're fundamentally about change every mm-hmm. project is changing the world some way and leadership at its core is change you know, if there was no change possible there would be no need for leadership because mm-hmm. you don't need to you don't need to move people into oh. any other direction mm-hmm. projects are fundamentally about change they are transient enterprises you know they're, they're there for a period of time therefore they come with this momentum and energy that, that's part of their nature they're trying to figure out a world that's not quite there yet it takes a lot of kind of creative energy 
you know, all the way down to how we do engineering and design, for example, or, or, or operational design. Um, and they're very diverse. Projects bring together a whole, you know, diversity of people from, mm -hmm. you know, finance and commercial to designers and consultants and operators and uh, a very kind of big ecosystem of, mm. of roles. I found that I found that very very attractive, and it, it kind of aligned with my natural tendencies and things that motivated me. I spent um, uh, about five years on the called the Great Western, uh, building a brand new uh, train maintenance facility, right. which is one of, which is one of those really what people don't see about these kind of facilities is they're very complex from an engineering perspective they have every type of engineering discipline uh, within them mm. they have to operate like a formula one pit stop you know trains come in and hundreds of trains come in and out of them every every day and de delivering something like that really taught me some really big things about how the industry worked because this is this was at the cross-section between network rail and an operator yes a lot of network rail doesn't interact with Mm. Uh, it was about delivering a new operational reality. So it's easy to see this as a construction job, but actually, mm. while it had a lot of construction, we could have built this thing and, and then not achieved the objective. The objective was actually moving where the operator, which was Great Western, uh, uh, did all their train maintenance from a, a different site to this site. Yeah. So therefore, on top of that became a very big business change, change project, huge, mm. you know, training and migration planning and scenario planning and regulatory change to do all that which became actually the heart of what that thing was about and it also taught me a huge amount about collaboration and I, and I was very lucky and privileged to work with some of the best mentors I had in that time uh, right. in my career who taught me a huge amount uh, and I learned by working with them a huge amount around the power of collaboration and collaboration is one of those things that I think are, is utterly misunderstood. People think it's about getting along and being nice together and stuff like that. Collaboration at its heart is about, uh, you know, all human enterprises and the complexity of the number of humans you have to organize are fundamentally underpinned by creating a collaborative environment, which is about, mm -hmm. which is everything from clarity of mission to aligning incentives to creating an environment of trust, to creating an environment of honesty and consistency in behavior. And that involves everything from the commercial foundation to what you do and how you spend time with people. So, uh, you know, coll collaboration is at the heart of how you how you get people yeah. to work. Mm. Uh, so that was really kind of a foundational part of my career, working with pe people like that um, uh, and, and learning those things early on. We were one of the first uh, in, in the network to get the, what was the um, Institute for Collaborative Working Framework implemented. Right uh achieved some really big things in terms of um uh, delivering to time and cost and all that despite having an incredibly tough project from an engineering perspective which had to handle a lot of change from the government uh, as well as the fact that this was a big business change project uh working with an operator that the business is not naturally you know it doesn't naturally do yeah so so it was an incredible uh incredible learning point after doing that i did consider whether I leave the industry uh, and do something else, not because I didn't have a, a, an interest or passion in the industry, but I, I was curious as to whether I should. And I was really interested in innovation and technology and things like that. 
I played with the idea of working in the tech sector, but the the opportunity came to join the Crossrail project, and right. uh, that was an incredible few years. Uh, what it allowed me to do is to take everything that we've learned in delivering um, in Great Western and move on to the Crossrail program in what was a incredibly challenging uh, operational environment. You're delivering yeah. this kind of open heart surgery on the network rail part of the Crossrail mm. network. Uh, it, unlike the uh, Trinket uh, maintenance facility where we got to do that from this, I got to work on that from the very beginning. So we got to really design that project from the outset. With Crossrail, I had to come in and find that a bunch of things had already been established with lots of misalignment and structural challenges. Right. So it, it really was underpinned by a lot of reform. How do you make this ecosystem that's been that put in mm. place much better from a commercial and delivery perspective? Those were some of the toughest years of my career. Uh, right. In one of the years, I didn't take roughly you know about half my leave for that year. Wow. It, it okay. was incredibly challenging delivery environment. So I'm not saying that to encourage that, but I'm just illustrating no. kind of how challenging of a time that was. Mm. Um, uh, we had to deliver some major, major complex engineering and operational change under very tough timescales and very tough commercial, uh, uh, in a very tough commercial environment. And trying to change that as we were delivering that was very, very challenging. Yeah. But the, the thing that I, the thing that I saw in that experience was the ability to, to see an environment that's been established by others and to be able to see in that huge opportunity for how things can be different. Mm. And then to realize that if you can make that clear for people and bring people onto that journey by being clear about where we're going, I mean, even for something like Crossrail, you'd think mm. it's obvious what we're trying to do, but it, it isn't. In the day-to-day yeah. -day of a challenging environment, people are consumed in problems, they're consumed in conflict, and they almost forget the purpose of what we're here for. Yeah. So in just getting the purpose clear and obsessively working on that with people, yeah. Um, and then working hard on the environment, looking at how you improve the commercial structures, how people came together, how you generated clarity together. Um, it was hugely powerful yes. to see how people responded to that. Yeah. So the, the big and it's, thing it, could... it's so interesting the way that you've explained this in terms of the difference of having a blank piece of paper with the with the train care maintenance um, program to then going into Crossrail where it wasn't a blank piece of paper and I would imagine it was quite a messy mm. full piece of paper to then kind of write where do we start and I think there would be a natural assumption that well we all know what we're here for but that's a really dangerous assumption isn't it in terms of what the actual purpose is because if we don't keep reminding ourselves and each other, we can all go off on our own little path, can't we, about what the purpose is. And we've, you know, each day there's a different set of objectives, but ultimately what's the main purpose? What's the big picture? It's kind of making me think about that, um, whether it was an actual quote or whether it's a, a myth that's built over time about Kennedy going to the space centre and asking that, saying to the janitor about, oh, Kelly, what's your role? I'm here to put a man on the moon. It's kind of, well, yeah, everybody, that is the, that's the big purpose. And there can just be an assumption, can't there, that we all know what we're here for. But actually, 
unless we're reminding each other on a regular basis and having that clarity of vision from the leadership team, it can get lost. I find that really interesting. Absolutely. I mean, I'll tell you, my experience is that we, we're, people generally in a complex enterprise are not aligned on the purpose. And you could mm. probably solve half the problems that people are contending with by just aligning people on where we're trying to go. Yeah. And that might sound like some might sound simplistic. It really isn't. It's not about just convening everyone one time and saying, right, this is where we're going. Off mm. you go. It's actually something you have to keep working on and keep, yeah. keep talking about. I mean, one thing we did in the office, we started putting posters up that tried to inspire people about what we were here to achieve. You know, it came mm. down to constantly talking about it and reminding it. But these big meetings that had to integrate a lot of work would always start with saying, right, here's what we're trying to achieve at the back end of this. Yeah. And suddenly it's like having you know, a bunch of magnets aligned. I mean, the way I think about it is because um, of my interest in physics and science, is something, the second law of thermodynamics called entropy. It's the idea that the world naturally tends to disorder and chaos. And the reason why that's the case is because there are more possibilities. So if you think of how things are today, there are millions of possibilities in terms of how they could be, right? Yeah. So, so for them to be how they are today, you have to put specific energy into making it the way it is today. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't do that, it would naturally tend to many other possibilities. Okay. It's kind of the, the idea that things tend towards chaos is the way it's described. Mm -hmm. I see human enterprises in a similar way. If you mobilize hundreds of people, they will naturally tend towards away, you know, into a more chaotic state. Yeah, it's almost like a natural, a natural, a natural force of physics, mm -hmm. and therefore the role of leadership is to overcome that natural force in aligning people. Yeah, and a huge, a huge part of that is clarity of uh, purpose, mm -hmm. mission, vision, where we're going, and it's not a single event; it's an ongoing story, it's an ongoing conversation. Yeah. To do that, you also have to create experiences for people to know that and, and to feel what that looks like. You have to mm -hmm. consciously look at what you do next and how that solidifies people's understanding of that story and what that means. And then you've got to work a huge amount on the environment, how you make the environment work for people, the mm -hmm. collaboration, the commercial environment. So any environment that has commercial structures, you've got to make those commercial structures work. You're fooling yourself if you think, you can have adversarial commercial structures and then just wish for people to collaborate. It doesn't work. Yeah, like that. that's not going to happen. No. And it's not perfect. These all have trade-offs. There's no perfect scenario, but it's just where you put the energy to create the environment for people to succeed. And then you've got to work with people. Kind of the third yeah. dimension is to work with people, uh, believing in people, working with people, having done those two things. And what Crossrail showed me is in very difficult, incredibly tough circumstances, you can reform environments where you know everyone from a signal tester you know who who are highly experienced highly skilled technical people to a commercial person you can get everyone uh aligned and energized by what we are doing by creating that clarity by changing how the environment works by working with them respecting them spending time with them um that they they could all and also humanizing the environment you know one of the big things yeah. that i strongly believe in in leadership that I've learned and experimented with over my career is uh, I jokingly talk about it as keeping it real and I don't mean it in the hip-hop sense I mean it in the <laughs> sense of you know we're here to do real things yeah these real things matter so we can turn up every day with a bunch of masks on and role play mm. yeah. yes. or, we, yeah. or we can really understand what we're trying to do 
and and create a very human environment that is working together to try and get there. Um, so Crossrail was an incredibly important experience of doing that. And as a result, mm. we delivered some incredibly challenging stuff, some of the biggest, most complex operational engineering mm. uh, we've ever done, reformed the way we do signaling in the UK, signaling delivery, which is one of the most, more complex train control systems delivery, yeah. uh, changed relationship with suppliers. Uh, uh, one of the other big things I took from that is the power of diverse teams, something you and I have spoken about over, yes. over our co conversations together. Yeah. And the thing that I always go back to that I think people miss is that when you create diverse teams you create tension mm. and and we lose that bit sometimes we talk about creating diverse teams is a good thing the thing I experienced in in that phase of my career is I, I worked hard to create diverse teams and saw the tension it creates and it taught me firsthand that the way you create diverse teams and get the most out of them is by working on how you create a safe environment where yes. the tensions become not challenging people's identities or people's yeah. um uh, uh you know on a personal level they become how you how you how you create positive tension where people are you know challenging each other and, and, and expanding the realm of possibility by by working on something together that takes yeah. a lot of hard work it's, absolutely and, and, and it, you never get it right that um it, it brings me back to something that you um that you said earlier and in terms of creating an environment where when we were talking about the being prepared to experiment and to do things differently and and you you kind of asked a question about what would it take for you to feel safe in order to experiment and that's exactly what we're talking about here isn't it is being able to be part of a team where each individual within that team feels that their ideas their input their uh, contribution is as valuable as everyone else in the room and as relevant to the discussion because there's no such thing as a, as a daft question or a daft idea it's kind of let's all put in and by us all putting in the good stuff will come out and that will be an amalgam of all of, of all of our ideas and contributions but that psychological safety for me to feel that I can come to that meeting with, I don't know, a different level of technical knowledge, for example, or a different type of experience, but still feel safe to share is so, so critical. But like you say, it's an ongoing process, isn't it? Creating that environment is an ongoing process. And, and there are two dimensions to it. I mean, there's a human dimension. The diversity brings different personalities into the mix, which are really important in, in expanding the skill set of a team. But the other one in terms of the creative process it creates it is just problem solving is mm. it expands the realm of what's possible. So if you think, I mean, there's a beauty, you and I have discussed this, but I'll mention it uh, here is this uh, wonderful experiment that is done by Tom Wujak about how do you make toast? Yes. So if, people, if people want to look at, if you Google how to make toast, Tom Wujak, uh, <laughs> you'll, you'll see a talk on it. And there's a, so something as mundane as that people have, hundreds of different perspectives on how that thing works you know yeah. you start you look at it from the toaster or the human or the toast <laughs> you look at it from unpacking mm. the toast you look at it from buying the toast you look at it from harvesting wheat one person yeah. looks at it as from the big bang so so then when you if you're trying to problem solve and you bring together a broad set of perspectives you expand the realm of possibility in terms of how you understand that problem and that thing and yeah. it's an incredibly powerful illustration of that and i've seen first now so what I'm sharing here really is that that experience on Crossrail has, has um, shown me 
in applying those things in very tough, adverse, structurally complex, painful, operationally challenging engineering environments, that they work. Yes. They truly work and they mm-hmm. enable success. Success is not beating your head against just trying to achieve those objectives. It's working on the foundations of success in what is a human enterprise yeah. made complex by virtue of it having hundreds of people and a commercial environment which requires clarity of direction, which requires working on that environment and then requires working on the people yeah. to, to do that. So I'll talk very briefly just about the um, kind of final well, the, re- the recent chapter of my career. So c- coming out of that, once again, I thought about, you know, where do I go from here? I really wanted mm-hmm. to get involved in something to do with technology. And a big opportunity came up where um, there's this thing called Digital Railway. It's all about how we might, how we deliver the future of train control. It was something the industry has suffered uh, with trying to do. It's incredibly complex. Yeah. As I've come to learn, it is the most complex thing we are trying to do because it touches every aspect of the rail industry, every rail vehicle, every operative, how you access the railway, uh, the, uh, the market that, that operates in this space. Uh, and I got involved in it around 2018, just at the point when the industry was pretty much falling to pieces. You had the Virgin yeah. franchise collapse. You had the Great Western overrun. You had the Crossrail overrun, the Carillion collapse, the May timetable uh, uh, problems. All that converging and the Williams review coming out of all that. So yeah. it was a really tough time to say we want to do something very complex that needs billions mm. of pounds and needs to integrate a very fragmented industry that has shown it can't deliver a timetable change. Franchising systems is barely hanging together. Major projects can't deliver. It was a very tough environment to do that. Mm. And to kind of summarize that journey, over the last few years, we have, by by taking a very fundamental approach to this, from a first principles perspective, um, uh, working outside of the norms of the industry. Uh, so, what is to just to say before? One of the conditions for me about taking that opportunity was that uh, I had to be able to work outside of existing structures because it was right. clear to me that to do this, the reason why we've suffered for so long is that it, it doesn't work in the existing in, uh, structures of our industry. So, we had to be able to pioneer and innovate. Uh, and figure out how we need to do that, and then figure out how we make it work into the existing structures. Uh, And to summarize, really, is in the last few years, we've gone from this being a very challenging problem that no one could solve, to now having a multi-billion pound uh, network portfolio that's fully funded, that has the support of the Treasury on the one hand and and unions on the other. It's built around an industry partnership model, which isn't to, to sound fashionable, you know, some of these terms, partnership collaboration can be misunderstood. Yeah. It's a partnership because it has to involve every entity that's affected by it. You have mm. to create extraordinary systems and models that bring these people together in an open boundary environment so that people are deployed from those various organizations into one enterprise. Mm. It's the only way to do it. So people are plugged into this program from various organizations working together as though it is an integrated industry. Yeah, uh, we've had to uh, focus heavily on what I call user design, which kind of goes back to my passion around design and my early exposure to that and understanding mm-hmm. that uh, getting design and, and, and technical design right is a marriage of operations and engineering, which is about how you understand how something works. 
with the engineering minds that help make that happen and and mm. we, we operate in the red industry with a big gap between those things so one of the missions here was to bring that really really close so we've got supply engineers working with operators people who mm. drive trains operate the railway working with supply engineers to bridge that gap we had to create new commercial models very different ways of working with suppliers and across yeah. the complex industry commercial environment um and we've had to center this around delivery of change. It's very easy to misunderstand this as being just technical and technology, but actually at the heart of it is about changing how we operate the railway, underpinned by technology and a range of capabilities. This has been, you know, for me, it's kind of solidified all the various experiences we've spoken about and, mm. and added to it a few things around uh, the belief that no one else is coming. It's one of the things I share with my team. I have a sticker yeah. that says no one else is coming. We have this no. idea that the, the big problems are going to get solved by someone else. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And and that if, you know, also the assumption that there's some room somewhere with more senior, smarter people who are really figuring all this out. Right. And if, you know, when you get to a certain place uh, and you spend time in those environments, you you kind of look and you think, wow, there is no one really figuring this out. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's down, it, it, it's down it's to done. us. It, yes. And it's not only just that it's down to us, but it's also the fact that even if there was a few people trying to figure, if there was a few people trying to figure this out, uh, who said their ideas are best? You know, it's, it's kind of this belief that if you can understand something uh, and realize it's important and organize people towards that, then you, you can do that. You know, we're not we're not victims of we don't have to be just victims of the world that we find around us in the way it yeah. is. So, you know, there's a real strong belief that no one else is coming. It is down to mm -hmm. us. And if we if we really understand the importance of what we're doing and we approach it from a first principles perspective, you can go from an industry that's, you know, falling to pieces with no chance of organizing one of the most complex things ever. Yeah. To, to to not just organizing it and mobilizing the industry around that, but to for that to be the only fully funded investment that we have in the rail industry and to bring together both the treasury and the unions around it. So yeah. I'm trying to summarize it just to paint the picture. There's clearly a lot a of there's a, roller, there's, there's a roller coaster between there and, and yeah. there. The thing is though, Tufik, I have to bring I have to bring the audience's attention to this, that in the forty odd episodes of this podcast and the hundreds of conversations that I have day in, day out with people in the industry, this is the first time anybody has ever cited an example of whether there is the full support of the Treasury and the trade unions and it's fully funded. So something's going right in terms of, of the work that you and your team are doing. Um, and obviously the kind of the wider team, um, acknowledging that wider team and that partnership approach. Um, the fact that that you've got the support of two of the, or the two most challenging stakeholder groups in the industry um, speaks volumes for the quality of work, the importance of work, of the work that, that you guys are doing. Um, I've really thoroughly enjoyed that walk through your career to date. I love how you've positioned that for us in relation to it's not just a list of roles you've done, but it's your personal reflections on what you've taken from those roles. Um, and I've been making notes as we've been going along because there's so many things that resonate with me 
personally about what you've learned and also things that whilst you're applying them in a multi-billion pound program um, they're equally relevant to me in a small business mm -hmm. in the north of England working with a team of eight people so um, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I'm going to move you on to um, the bit where I get my magic wand out and I say to you, we're going to take back to back to the beginning again. We'll take the limits off. Let's not kind of um, let's say, well, I'd like to do that, but we can't because if we had a magic wand and I could say to you, Toothpick, I'm going to grant you three wishes for the things that the three things that you would like to change about the UK transport industry that, in your view, would make the biggest difference. What would those three things be? As you were asking me that, I realised that what I was going to say relates very deeply to a lot of what we ended up talking about, and it kind of shows okay. you. Should, I guess it reflects my the way I see things. The three things that I would reflect that I think we need now, uh, and I start from saying that I think a lot of this is in our power. Some of it is made difficult by virtue of where we're at, where we are at the moment as an industry, but I always start from the position that well we can make that happen you know to a large yeah. extent we can but there <clears> might be there will be limitations at some point and the three things for me are we need to re-establish the story of what we're about that goes back to purpose a bit and, and by purpose yeah. i don't mean just making everyone's life you know better and things like that that some of those things are like tautological truths they'll always be the case but what i mean yeah. by story is where are we going next it cannot just be a presiding story. Uh, if you want to galvanize people, it's got to be a story of change. It's got to be a story of hope, of optimism, of a better future, of it's worthwhile doing, it's worthwhile pursuing, it's worthwhile changing. Mm -hmm. so, so one is a, is a story. Uh, I think we need to, to we need the story for where we are and where we're going. The other two are um, reducing complexity. So one thing that um privileged but also incredibly challenged by is that what we're doing in the industry partnership digital railway uh, has given us a panoramic high definition view of every challenge and problem we face in our industry there's nothing that we don't touch there isn't a train ownership contract or a commercial agreement or or, or whatever nature in our industry uh, uh, that we don't touch mm. and and what what I what we've exposed in in doing that is that we have a lot of misaligned incentives and it's incredibly complex. Yeah. Some of this talks to the objectives of where we're going with rail reform or trying to go with rail reform, which will go some way to alleviating that. But really what underpins that is we need to try and reduce complexity. We'll never get that away. It'll never go away. It's, a, it's, a, it's an industry with hundreds of thousands of people that by mm. nature is complex yeah. and, tens, and tens and tens of organizations. That's fine. But we have a level of misalignment now that really takes the wind out of the sails of the industry big time mm. but we need to reduce that complexity to help create that, that better alignment um, and the third one is about skills and people mm. uh, we need to bridge the gap between the incredible wisdom and experience of our aging demographic with new talent yeah. and that's crucial for the future of the industry uh, uh, and it will diversify the industry and how we see things and think about things. So, you know, it's our, 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 our broader skills approach is crucial to 
everything about our future. You know, that, yeah. that will underpin our future, really. So actually, when you, so when you look at those three, it talks right back to what I mentioned about my whole experience, you know, mm. the story of where we're trying to go, getting the environment to work better, and then and then focusing on the fact that it's a human enterprise. It's not an yeah. enterprise of metal and plastic. It's, it's no. about human beings. So I think th those are the three big important things that we've got yeah. to get right. Brilliant. I think you're absolutely right. Um, I, I really do. And, and certainly the third one is something that I, I spend a lot of time thinking about, talking about um, in terms of how do we get that balance? Because I completely agree with, with the point you made earlier that we have got a, a huge wealth of experience within this industry that we that we have a respect for. But with the greatest respect, those people are not going to be here forever. And, and nor should they be you know there's kind of there's there's more to life after mm -hmm. retirement um but but what we're not very good at historically um or certainly in the recent history is bringing new people in and there's a really worrying statistic in terms of the percentage of the workforce of the uk rail industry that is aged 25 years or younger is 3.8 percent so the National Skills Academy for Rail have produced these figures. That number has gone down. Um, the the other one of the other areas of diversity is around gender, and the percentage of women has also gone down in the last two years, which is not the trend that we want to see. But in terms of attracting skills into the rail industry, I think we need to be so much better. Uh, giving them the experience you had at that graduate interview way back at the beginning where you saw that huge window open up to say well good grief you know there's a lot more to this than meets the eye um, and you don't have to be a train driver or work in the ticket office or to kind of do the roles that we see on the front line there are so many equally fascinating and important and critical roles going on behind the scenes and I think what you've done for the audience today is to really highlight the, the, the just the, the depth of, of experience and uh, knowledge that you have built over your career. And God, you know, you're not you, you're not anywhere near the end of this yet. There's, there's so much more to do, but you've learned so much and you've grown so much personally throughout throughout those experiences. So. Um, I am I'm very, very keen to share this conversation as far and wide as I possibly can to, to kind of get people um, to understand the opportunity that's there. And the industry has a huge amount of learning opportunity, both in the practical environment, but also in the opportunity it gives, it gives people. I've done an incredible development programs. I've done an MBA through my uh, uh, career. You know, so so the, the industry offers a lot in terms of real life learning of getting involved in some incredibly interesting complex things yeah uh, as well as opportunities to just learn and i don't think i don't think there's a place in our industry where it's like can i go on this course and can i learn that with, mm. when people would say no i think we have a huge opportunity with the railway 200 in 2025 yes. you know a number of yes. things are converging in that it's something i'm involved in in my role with the national railway museum uh and uh, we start the migration to digital signaling in 2025 as well, which starts a right. one in 200 year event, yeah. as well as celebrating the bicentenary. I think one thing we're working on just to kind of amplify to, to you and anyone listening is we have a mm. huge opportunity to capitalize on 
the celebration of the past to position the future. You know, it's bridging the past with the future and what, yes. it, what it means to be the pioneers of today and what the bread industry can, can do uh, for society tomorrow and what it looks like for people to come and work in that industry. Yeah, brilliant. I'm, I'm very excited about this, the, the, uh, the Rail Summit 200. I think that's going to be, as you've just said, a real amazing opportunity to showcase what an incredible industry this is that we work in. I'm going to bring this conversation to a close, which I don't want to do because I've got so much more I want to ask you. But we, um, we've, uh, in terms of our, our time allocation, we've got one more question that I want to put to you, um, which is, where do you get your inspiration from? So on those days where it's kind of, it feels a bit kind of difficult and you need to plug yourself in and give yourself a, um, a, a bit of oomph, where do you go to, Tufik, in order to, to get that inspiration or motivation? Uh, for me, it probably gravitates around, um, I guess, two things, which are maybe two, two sides of the same coin. One is just learning and understanding things. I feel mm. like by understanding the nature of things, it helps you see the possibilities. So I have a huge interest in learning about anything and everything. So I get huge motivation just from, uh, uh, you know, my idea of relaxing is learning. So I, I like yeah. to, I'll go into biochemistry, philosophy, business, learning about innovation. So, so I guess there's, there's kind of, there's that layer of just learning about how things are and stimulating my mind is a way of finding inspiration as to what's possible. But then what what the other side of that coin is just people you know people who've done who've who've done something either against the odds or have uh created some change in the world you know on a small level or or a large level i'm hugely mm -hmm. inspired by people like that because it should you know throughout my whole life I, i've i've you know I've, I've gravitated to those stories as an example of what's possible and i've gained a huge amount of confidence in that Mm -hmm. um, you know, I remember years and years ago watching a video clip with Steve Jobs. I don't want to throw in lots of cliche names into, the, into this, but for example, yeah. you know, Steve Jobs saying that he realized at one point, as he was you know starting the business, business, the business at Apple, that you know the world is the way it is just because a bunch of other people did it that way. You know, and I'm, yeah. I'm a person, and I can make, yeah. I can, I can poke that world, and I can change how that world is, yeah. all the way to people like Nelson, Nelson Mandela, who I've um, spent a bit of time. You know, around his story and the story of other great leaders where you know what it looks like to bring about change so I, I get huge inspiration from just people who have looked at the world for what it is and said I'm not going to be a victim of that world and as hard and as improbable as almost impossible as it may be I, I, I can see something better and I think it is not impossible to get humans to get there somehow yeah I get huge inspiration from that. Yeah. And that makes me think about my new favourite quote that you have provided us with today, which is, no one else is coming. <laughs> I absolutely love that. I'm going to use that so much. I will credit you each time I do, but I think it's brilliant. I think it's absolutely spot on for that kind of, well, if not me, then who? And if not now, then when? Because... Mm -hmm. As you've just said, you know, the, 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 um, the quote from Steve Jobs, somebody designed it that way. Somebody made it that way. And we're somebody too. So we can have that same level of impact. 
And as you said, when you shared your three wishes with us, it is all in our power. And sometimes it can feel that it isn't because it's too hard. Um, and one of my expressions that I probably overuse is that it's in the hard box. So I was kind of, I'll just leave it there for a bit because it's in the hard box. Um, I could I could talk to you for hours. I thoroughly enjoy your company and I enjoy listening to the way that you think um, because it helps me to think differently. And we are very different characters. And that's for me, that's the fascination. I learned so much from listening to you. I'm hugely grateful to you for spending the time with me today, talking me through the reflections on your career to date. It's been really interesting. And I know with confidence that our audience will find it interesting too. So a massive thank you from me to Fit for joining me today on the podcast. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you, Nina. I always enjoy our conversations. My huge thanks to Tufik for sharing his thoughts and his insights. I hope that you enjoyed and learned as much as I did throughout that conversation. Please do join us again. Keep your eye out for um, next releases of our podcast, Intuitive Insights, giving you an insight into the UK transport sector and how fantastic the careers can be.